Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Nivi Sharma here uh, with me from Nairobi. Welcome to my podcast, Nivi. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thank you. We are both at this um, event in uh, uh, Salerno in Italy about social enterprise. So I'm so happy to have met you here. When I saw you on stage speaking and communicating your messages, I was so inspired that I, I decided to invite you to be on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored. Yeah, thank you. And just as a short intro of you, Nivi Sharma is the COO of Brick the on-ramp for frontier market internet users. She is passionate about the potential impact the internet can have on the economic and social development for the 800 million Africans who are currently not connected. In 2011, Nevi co-founded Elimu, the first company to digitize the Kenyan primary school curriculum for revision and literacy. Nevi, tell us about BRIC and um, what is it for and uh, who is it actually for? Brick is an organization that has dedicated itself to connecting people to the internet. So a tagline we have is internet for everyone. Another tagline we use is uh, connecting Africa to the internet. It's a company that's focused on connectivity. And the way we do it is through great technology. So we build our own hardware. Uh, we innovate cheaper ways to bring access and infrastructure to areas where there aren't. But um, more interestingly, we do it through a really innovative uh, business model. So we're disrupting this idea that uh, the average user needs to reach into their pocket and pay for connectivity. Uh, they need to buy, in Africa, what's common is scratch cards to buy data bundles. Our business model is focused on, rather than them paying for connectivity, what they do is pay with their time and attention. And so who it's for is a group of young people who have lots of time, maybe are unemployed, underemployed, are able to pay with, are able to work in exchange for uh, services and do micro tasks online. People have smartphones, but um, really are struggling to, to overcome that connectivity, that affordability barrier to, to get online. And how about you? How come you are passionate about this? Well... The internet, when I think of it, is this, it's the largest, greatest network of knowledge and information in the world. And I think so conscientiously about all the times when I Google something, all the times that I use an online tool to uh, improve my livelihood, to improve the way I think about the world, the way I interact with the world. And I'm so passionate about the idea that there are so many people that don't have that privilege. It's a complete and absolute privilege to be connected and online, to be perpetually connected and online all the time. And um, how people would change their lives if they had that access, that same access. So what is your like dream picture of, of Brick and what it can do? It's um, overcoming the barriers to connectivity. And those are the barriers of infrastructure access, the barrier of affordability, and the third barrier, which is probably more important than both of those, is digital literacy. So getting people to understand that the internet is not about 
memes and lolcat videos. Um, I think the civilized world has almost wasted an entire generation and an opportunity to connect in a meaningful way. But um, to connect meaningfully in a way that improves uh, your own life, the lives of those around you and your community. What you said about connectivity uh, just reminded me a couple of weeks ago when I did this interview with Simon Sinek and and I was asking him, you know, what, what, what does the world need the most right now and so on. And we were, he was really answering, you know, connection because we are all connected, as you say, but we are not connecting. So the human perspective about how do you connect, mm -hmm. uh, we can use digital technology, internet and everything, but how do we truly connect with people today? Uh, and many people don't actually, they're living pretty, you could say isolated uh, uh, lives. Just a reflection. And what would you say is like your passion? My personal passion? It's been for a long time, and I'm finally doing something about it, is building playgrounds. Mm -hmm. So when I see playgrounds, especially when I'm in the West, and just public playgrounds and children playing, and I don't know what it is. I think it's got some transformational power, and it's a beautiful thing to have in um, public spaces and in cities and in um, in everywhere, not just cities, in rural areas as well. So um, I'm going to start building some playgrounds in my spare time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I, I was part of a project actually in my home city of Belgrade once many years ago and uh, with a company and um, and we went to a place and got all the tools and all the you know equipment for building actually playground. Oh, wow. And we did that in front of a hospital, you know, the department for, for children and uh, we made it happen. It was it was wonderful. You know, people were just tearful when, when we were done. We couldn't believe it, you know, that we managed with some guidance, of course, but that was a, a really strong experience. I think I must look strange, but whenever I sit and watch um, a playground, it's a magical place where you see children discovering the world around them, touching, playing, interacting. What a better way of spending your time rather than sitting in front of a, a screen. Mm. <laughs> the word passion comes from, you know, the Latin patire, which means really suffering. And if you think about it that way, rather... What is it then your passion in the sense of what is it that is so important to you that you are even willing to suffer for it if it's needed? It is that connectivity in a meaningful way. Mm. In We're working towards connectivity on paper. Mm. We're working through the software problems, the hardware problems, the infrastructure pro problems. We're working through the policy problems. Mm. But uh, the passion is to turn that connectivity into something meaningful. If all I'm doing is connecting people to the internet who will spend their days watching pornography and doing online gambling, then that doesn't seem to be a, a life of purpose for me. <laughs> and um, that's not, I don't think that's why... God put breath into my, into my life. So connectivity in a meaningful way and understanding that, um, and even if you try to remember when the internet was started and what it was for, and it was a, group, a small group of people that said, uh, this is where we will uh, share research and ideas and uh, talk about things and build things together. And there was, I think, almost a code of conduct that they signed back then saying that there'll be no commercial activity allowed on the internet and it wasn't that long ago and boy have we swung the other way you know yeah. uh, we've gone so far the other way but it should be a place where people should find opportunities yeah. to to do work opportunities to connect with like-minded people opportunities to build things together opportunities to share ideas yeah. not just a place where we 
you know, spew hatred towards each other, not a place where we are there to sell things and steal data from people and so on. Mm. So it's connectivity with purpose is a, is a big passion for me. And what would you say are like the transformational points in your life that have influenced you the most so far? I didn't realize this for a long time. And the other day, I, I don't know what brought this clarity on. When I was about 19 years old and I had just come back from university and I'd come back home to Kenya and a driver that worked in my mother's company had passed away and he had been working there for, for many, many years and he got hit by a drunk driver and he died. And he had, I had known him for many years. Uh, I'd had some of my first driving lessons in after school with him and never knew him outside of his professional work as a driver. So at the, the day that he had the accident and we'd all gone to the hospital, I saw his wife and I think I'd met her before or seen her before. He had passed away and she was crying and I was with her and, and she was like, he was, such, he was such a good man. He took such good care of us. And um, a few days later, I went to visit her um, just to pay my condolences and realized that he had left five kids behind. And some of them were so young that they, they weren't really dealing with sorrow in the way that we do as, as grown-ups in grief. And so I said, you know, do you want to come out? Should we go out for pizza or something? And so the next weekend, we, we went out for a pizza. And um, there's a, a girl, her name is Joy, and she said uh, in Swahili, Maisha ni matamu which means life is sweet. And this was only two weeks after her father had passed away. And I thought, it is, you know, she was sitting and um, the sunshine was like uh, bouncing off her forehead and she was eating a slice of pizza and she was just happy in that moment, you know. And um, that was a really transformational moment. I thought, wow, like I've just brought happiness to a girl whose name is Joy, but uh, to this girl who whose father has passed away two weeks ago. And... Since then, every week I would take them out and I said, oh, let's go ice skating this time or let's go watch a movie. Things that they would never otherwise do given their socioeconomic circumstances. Mm. And spending that uh, every week with them and uh, my relationship with them changing. It started with the five kids and then they'd bring their friends and cousins. So it ended up being 20 children in <laughs> a little van that a company had sponsored to take uh, to give me every Sunday. And we just go somewhere and do something and have fun and I'd call friends who have a bread factory somewhere and say, we're coming to visit your bread factory, you know, something completely random and expanding. And as my relationship with them evolved, I got more involved with their schoolwork, with their academic work and understanding, oh, you know, Alex is, um, he doesn't know how to tell the time. And then I got an iPhone at that time. So um, my brother was getting a new one. So he gave me his old iPhone and it was my first smartphone. And I remember downloading an app that would help children tell the time, an educational app. So there were all these things I would uh, say videos on YouTube and say, oh, um, Mungai would enjoy this video and kept collecting things, some digital tidbits. And so that was really transformational in me understanding the power of this um, smartphone revolution or internet phenomenon that we were upon right then and taking it to people who had no access to it whatsoever and seeing how it would um, affect them. So that was quite transformational. Wow. And this was how many years ago when he died? Uh, 15, 17 years ago. Wow. What was his name? Uh, Francis. 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 <laughs> and I think the, the real transformational moment for me was um, when I went to their house. It was such a moment of clarity because hanging um, on the wall 
were these two monkeys that had uh, Velcro on their arms that were teddy bears from my childhood. And clearly my mom had given them to Francis without me knowing and even noticing with all the toys that I had growing up. And they were sitting and I thought at that moment, I realized that this is not an incident that has happened and I'm going to move on with, but somehow my life and this family, our fates are cosmically or karmically or somehow connected and intertwined for the rest of our lives. We've got something to give and take with each other that we can't ignore and walk away from right now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing this. But if we dream a little bit and say that you right now have all doors open to you and you have all kinds of resources available to you, what would you then rush to innovate or, or change? You know, be it in your sector or wherever. Yeah. I really do want to make this idea of public spaces more different. I just want public spaces to be different right now. And right now they play a very, especially in Africa, they play a very transactional role. For example, when I visited a university in, we were doing a lot of work so with universities in Kenya, when you visit them, you see the buildings are, are not very inspiring. And uh, someone was telling me that, you know, when you're an architect of a university uh, like Stanford and so on, you're even thinking about the, the staircase or the stairway outside of the lecture hall to encourage people to stop and sit with each other and talk and continue that conversation outside. Because 20% of learning in universities and schools happens inside the classrooms, inside the lecture halls. 80% of it happens outside in the social interactions. Mm -hmm. And we've got a design to make those social interactions more meaningful. So whether it's playgrounds or places where people have free connectivity and what they do with that free connectivity, marketplaces and so on, I would love to think about innovating and changing those um, public spaces more. Yeah, fantastic. It has such a great impact on us, more than we can uh, we can imagine. Mm -hmm. And if you could give, let's say, one piece of advice to leaders out there, and of course you can define, you know, leaders the way you see them, what would that be? The advice I'd give leaders is to listen more, to listen with an open heart and with empathy. I think we're, we're leading so much from a place of uh, fear and protection, protection of one's own ego and one's own stature and one's really wealth that, you know, we want to lead in a way that protects ourselves rather than is open-hearted to listening to different perspectives. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason why we have conferences like this, trying to dissect why diversity is important. We see the evidence that diversity shows better results, but we don't actually understand that all diversity means is listening to different perspectives. Um, how can I build a connectivity solution for public transport when I don't take public transport every day? And how can we do that as a company when there isn't someone who takes public transport every day sitting at the table, um, driving our strategy and our business leadership? It would be a stupid decision not to be. Um, and so we've, we've really got to be able to listen and understand that um, people's different perspectives and experience bring wealth to our organization. They bring a wealth of understanding and user experience to the products we're building and services we're offering. If you were to give advice to yourself, let's say 10 years ago or so, what would that advice be? I wish 10 years ago I had listened to myself better. 
I was very, I think I've always been someone who's empathetic and uh, eager to listen to others. Mm. I think it's also important in leadership to listen to yourself. And so now I'm very conscientious about doing check-ins with myself and saying, how are you feeling right now, Nabi? Do you need to walk away from the situation? Mm. Do you need to take a walk? Do you need to move out of the space or change the space or change the atmosphere in the space? Mm. And literally setting an alarm on my phone every three hours that reminds me to do that (laughs) so really listen to yourself listen to situations or triggers that cause a reaction in you and a reaction of insecurity in me or a reaction of defensiveness in me or a reaction of anger in me Uh, when a man behaves a certain way or says something I know that I'm triggered if if I ever see an instance of man interruption or mansplaining for example I know that I'm now triggered to put that man in some kind of corner where I want to admonish him and tell him that what he's done is not right. And then I'm not listening to anything else he's saying, which might be of value and and so on. So I've I've really got a, I think 10 years ago and still now is it's still something I'm working on is really being better at listening to myself and listening to my body when I'm hungry. Am I being cranky with this person and impatient with this person because I'm hungry or, you know, what is it? So and um, one thing that I haven't hold and I want to do now is be better at listening to that gut instinct. And you describe this often of um, speaking to people and feeling somehow that this isn't what you want to do. And um, I've been through situations where I've put myself in harm's way and known that oh, there was something inside me that was telling me not to trust that person. And uh, I wish I was better at listening to my the sixth sense of, of somehow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What is life like in Nairobi, where you live since many years? You know, what, what's, what is like the good part of it? If we look at it from, you know, whether it's a, as a private person living there or if it, as a professional, what do you love the most and what would you like to change? The pulse around Nairobi is uh, one, it's a vibrant pulse of, you know, the, the sanitized version uh, word for this is entrepreneurship. But the real mentality I get is the hustler mentality. So if you're an employer in Nairobi, if you're running a business in Nairobi, you have to come to terms with the fact that at least 60%, if not more, of your employees have a side hustle. That's what they call the Nairobi, a side gig, where they've got a small little kind of business or alternative means of income. A lot of Kenyans I know are entrepreneurs and employees and uh, are studying some kind of night course and parents <laughs> and so it's it's really incredible people want to pack people want to do better people want to do more what i wish we could change about that is being more conscientious about what we're doing and not just trying to pack in more because we think that'll lead us more better results and more income or a better livelihood i think there's value in doing less and having the space to do one thing really well and being present in your parenting. And the other thing that, the other downside of that um, more, more, more mentality is uh, corruption. And it is deep-seated corruption, not just at a leadership level. It's at every single level I see in Kenya where there is entitlement and I can bend the rules and I can get by without doing this. I can pay for my way outside of traffic, for example. Everyone is waiting in traffic. And every day we see people who think, I'm above this. I don't need to wait in traffic. I can just overlap and block the other people. It's just seeped into so many parts of our society. And, I, and I'm, I'm really worried about what that's going to do to us in the, 
in not even the long term, in the short term. Mm. And, and what's the way out of that? I mean, do you have any upcoming, let's say, leaders, people who can raise the total awareness of how things are intertwined and, and uh, that we all part of one, so to say, and then like to change that attitude? Because uh, otherwise, of course, the entrepreneurial spirit that you were mentioning before will also, you know, not be used for it. For what it should be, yeah. because it's been blocked energetically in every way by this micro corruption all over the place, mm. right? Exactly. If some of you've been to lived in Nairobi before, <laughs> you've summed it up well. So uh, during the last election, um, my husband and I we really tried to support, at least financially and with resources, some up and coming different type of uh, leadership, and they didn't do very well at all. Why? I think the majority of people in Kenya one vote along tribal lines. And so would rather vote for someone of their own tribe without knowing much or enough about their character. And so that's one, one big problem we have. But it really got me thinking about what we're going to do next. Because if you're smart and bright and ambitious and um, have a clear conscience and a clear heart and purpose in Kenya, you're not going into politics. Uh, you'll start a social enterprise, you'll work for an NGO or go into development work um, because that's where you can really impact change. So... I think what I want to do more of in Kenya is support um, leadership, is support um, bright young people working in, in the public space. Because we can't, um, there's a woman called Ori Okello who said, the, Okolo who said this in Kenya. She said, we can't entrepreneur our way out of all these problems. At some point, we're going to need a government to sort out the basics. But would you for any reason leave Nairobi? No, Nairobi is home. And I always feel uh, jealous and I think there's something flawed in me that I have, I've never really, except for when I studied in uh, the USA for four years, I've never lived anywhere other than the place I was born. And I, I think that's unadventurous and boring, but it's where my roots are, at least for now, with um, kids and so on. <laughs> and um, is there like one thing one most important thing for companies to focus on right now? Something that you would almost consider like a common denominator for all companies? Integrity comes to mind. I think so many companies are, are functioning without any values. And or they think of values as the kind of a cherry on top that they can put like a CSR. Whereas values are really the foundation upon which mm. all your pillars should be built. Mm. And we've uh, you know, recently done this at Brick, and it's been such an empowering exercise. We spoke to so many people within the company, and we're 100 people. Me and the CEO were just doing one-on-one -on -one interviews with everyone. And really saying, what do you love about Brick? What do you love mm. about working here? What are our strengths? And what are our weaknesses? What should we be better at? And out of that, we canonized these core values. Number one is you can do hard things. That we can solve hard problems. We're not constrained by budget and our size. And sometimes we're not even constrained by reality, which is <laughs> problemsome, but also a great testament to what we've built. The other value is we're human beings. We're not human resources. And we know that. Everyone who works at Brick strongly feels that if my sister was taken to hospital tomorrow, I could send a message to my manager and I wouldn't get admonished. I, the last thing on my mind would be like, I'm, getting, I'm going to get in trouble with my boss if I sure. go and take care of my sister. That would be the last thing on their mind. They would never think that. Integrity, integrity wins is another value that um, everyone makes mistakes. I make mistakes, the CEO makes mistakes, the CFO makes mistakes, the CTO makes mistakes. 
But it's not about the mistakes we make. It's about how we respond to those mistakes and how we learn from those mistakes, how we fix them, how open and honest we are and transparent we are to turn those mistakes into a learning opportunity. So really having values like um, like those three that I've said are key to organizations um, ending up building better products, ending up serving their, the people that they want to serve better. And whether that's a social impact service or not, I think just having values that they hold dear and that they live up to and hold, are accountable to yeah. amongst themselves is uh, something that could change. And uh, just to finish off on a, on a, on a big level, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the world uh, needs most at this time? This is a big question. <laughs> yeah. So you need so much more, but, you know, some love and empathy are always, have, have always been my big things. I was uh, talking to my a cousin about this and uh, she was saying, my big thing is truth, that you've got to be true to yourselves. You've got to not be fake. You've got to cut the bullshit out and always be truthful. And I, I realized that, yes, those are good values, but they don't necessarily resonate with me. Uh, my big thing, I think, throughout life has always been um, be kinder, be more, have more empathy. That's what I would think the world needs more of. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nivi. By the way, what does your name mean anything, Nivi? My full name is uh, Nivedita, which means devotion. Oh. And so obviously that's uh, not a name most people can wrap their tongues around. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. So thanks for sharing and taking the time. I really appreciate it. So for people to find out more about Brick and everything you do, where do they head? Brick.com. That's B-R-C-K. Dot com, no I in the brick. Mm -hmm. And you can read more about the work that we do, about the um, platform for internet connectivity called Moja. And Moja in Swahili means one. Uh, so read more about what we're doing there. Great. Thank you. And uh, people will find links and show notes on corporateunplugged.com as well. Uh, so remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing this. Please rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao, Nivi. Ciao.